Hello, my name is Mark Iskowitz. I'm editor-at-large for MMM, and I'm super excited to be part of today's sponsored podcast with Imray Health. Here with me today is Jeff Smokler, partner and president. Jeff, how are you? Hey, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. Great to be talking with you again. I think the last time we spoke, was, it's been a while, so it's, yeah, uh, it's great to connect again. So in, in this podcast, you'll hear from Jeff on how the agency works to differentiate itself among a crowded landscape of talented and well-capitalized competitors offering similar services. Jeff, I just thought out we'd start off with a question about how the agency weathered the pandemic and all that it wrought uh, on, our, on our business and our society. Yeah, I mean, are, are we over it yet? <laughs> I don't know. It seems like it's, quite, still, right? it's still doing those things, absolutely. But certainly, just you know, as it has been for you and for everybody, it's you know, it's it's changed the nature of how we work. Um, but I would say, overwhelmingly, we've weathered it well. You know, we've grown throughout the pandemic. I think the, the my, my biggest concern is you know how the pandemic has adversely impacted our culture, and not just our employee culture, but our culture of working with clients, our culture of working with external partners, but primarily you know how it feels to be an Emory employee. You know, just since the beginning of the pandemic, we've hired um, about a hundred people which is kind of stunning. So, you know, almost half of our employees have um, joined Emory since uh, right about the beginning or around February of um, 2020. So it's been certainly transitional time for us and one that I think has required us to think differently and, and work differently, just like everybody else. And then we were chatting, you know, offline about how your people really rallied to the cause um, and showed an, an amazing degree of agility, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm lucky because I have three children who are teenagers and I often think about, you know, what's it been like for the working moms and dads that have younger children and who have spouses or partners and significant others who have just as high demanding jobs as they have. And so I've been spoiled in that I've been able to just rely heavily on trust that my, my kids are doing what they, what they need to be doing. Yes, and you look far too young to have uh, three teenagers. Uh, oh well, thank you. I started young. <laughs> uh-huh. That's the key. Yes, um, it is. It I've is. got a couple of them myself, and and uh, I've got the gray hairs to show to for it. Yeah, that's all because of them. But I started a little later. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no trust is a big, big part of it, and trusting them to to do what what they need to do just uh, underscores the importance of having parental guidance. You know, I guess during this during this pivotal time for them and pivotal pivotal time for the world. Talk about how, uh, you know, 2016 was it was also a pivotal year, you know, for Imre in terms of uh, provided you with the or at that, at that time, you sort of saw the inspiration for going all in on healthcare, where you launched Imre Health as its own brand sure. under the Imre umbrella. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I joined Emory in 2012, and at the time we were, you know, structured very differently, um, and we had a bunch of different what we referred to as business units. And I joined to kind of help build the healthcare business unit. We had kind of a hodgepodge of different healthcare clients historically, but there wasn't a growth strategy in place. There wasn't really an overarching vision for how. Emory could service that industry in a differentiated way. And we really started to make meaningful impact in you know, the beginning of the end of 2013, early into 2014 is when we first started to sign, frankly, our first life science scopes. And you know, it's funny, back then in 2013, 2014, we would have conversations with life science 
prospective clients. And we talk about how Emory was the non-pharma pharma agency um, in that we didn't have pharma clients, but we understood the regulatory environment and we could really beg and borrow and steal from our consumer offerings to really adapt them in an industry that was desperately trying to be more consumer centric in its marketing. And, you know, we kind of quietly did that behind the scenes. And we got to a point when, you know, around 2016, we were having such success that it seemed a little bit disingenuous to refer to ourselves as the non-pharma pharma agents anymore, because we really did have a, a growing and, and, and robust book of life science business. And it was changing the nature of our agency. We also were aware that our external positioning was really rooted in our legacy, which was more around consumer marketing, particularly in like home and building and manufacturing spaces, because we had had, you know, at that point, we had had a dozen or 13 year run with brands like John Deere, who, with whom we still work as their global PR and social AOR, with other manufacturing brands like Steel and Quickset Locks. So, you know, we were really cognizant to the fact that here we were having conversations with pharma marketers and without a whole lot of that capital, that reputational capital. And so we really felt the need to distinguish our healthcare offering from the rest of what we were doing, at least at that time. And so in 2016, we really launched um, what had been in the making for a good year before that, which was some positioning and branding for Emory Health. That was separate from kind of the mothership, not a separate PL, all still one company, but a different way of talking about ourselves in the market and a different way of hiring and staffing for our business. Quickly saw that that was really, really fruitful because it opened up new avenues for us to have different and more sophisticated conversations that ultimately led to kind of a rebirth of some of our core services and, and how we were bringing those services to the market. So I like to talk about 2016 as kind of being, uh, you know, a, a major inflection point for us where Emory Health as, you know, a distinguished sub-brand within the Emory family um, really had its coming out party, so to speak. Sure. And you talked about how you borrowed from Emory's consumer offering and transferred it over for an industry that was desperate uh, to be more consumer oriented. And obviously the market responded because you started building a concerted book of life science business to the point where you felt it was you know, almost a little disingenuous to be calling yourself you know, the non-life sciences, life right. science agency anymore. So you know, did, did your hiring kind of reflect that you know, uh, non, those non-traditional roots, or did you start hiring people that had that specific, you know, life science um, experience? And, you know, tell us about the, the leadership team that you sought to create. Sure. Um, so a little bit of both, actually, Mark, I would say. We, we, we both adapted some of our existing resources, both in terms of talent and, you know, how we, how we deploy that talent, as well as bringing on some new people. And so I think in the early days, you know, and really what made us able, when I talk about, you know, having some begging and borrowing from our consumer practice, what I'm talking about is, you know, we really long before a lot of other agencies were doing this, before I joined Emory in 2012, we're really starting to put together a very intentional social marketing practice. And that's where we really started to transform our consumer business. And we kind of came up with our own proprietary approach 
to um, developing social strategies. And it was a mix of things, but to, to tell it to you as short as I can, you know, we kind of talked about a tripod analysis of kind of environmental insights, what's happening in the landscape, business insights, what does that client's business need? What are they looking for? And then the biggest piece was the audience insights. And so we really started to test new ways of social listening and really the ways in which we um, looked at what we heard and brought strategic minds to the table to think about the, 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 the white space. Where were people missing the signals? Where were brands missing the signals that they were hearing through some of this social listening? And so that's kind of the first service offering we brought over to the healthcare space because we saw that it worked so well in consumer organizations. So um, we got our foot in the door with life sciences by really uh, you know, kicking down, frankly, all of the, the boundaries that had existed around social marketing, particularly in an industry where that was at that point in 2013, 2014, was still a little bit fresh and new. You know, it's funny, I think now how in partnership with our clients at AstraZeneca, who at that time were leading um, the Nexium brand through its LOE period. So they're not only were generics, but they're also became um, available a non-prescription version of Nexium that AstraZeneca actually had a stake in, but that they were not producing it themselves. And I think back to that time often, because that was the brand with whom we really started to do things that weren't happening in other life sciences industries. And it was a little bit easier because it was a brand that didn't have black box warnings. Um, it was a brand that the marketers were happy to play around with a little bit because it was at the end of its life cycle. And so, you know, I laugh now, what we ended up doing was building what was at the time, the very first branded open comment channel on Facebook. That was for Nexium. And so that earned us a lot of immediate reputational capital as an innovator, as someone who wasn't afraid to take risks. And I think that kind of became our calling card, Mark, as we started to think about where could we help other brands. It wasn't necessarily doing what others were doing and just doing it differently. It was also, you know, kind of what I like to call as guiding clients through firsts. I think that became an early superpower for us. And I don't, and I, and I don't use the word innovation necessarily, because I think that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. What we really got good at was looking at organizations who wanted to try things they had never done before. And we understood how to help them do that. And that oftentimes started with social marketing because that was the great kind of untested playing field in 2014, 2015 for a lot of life science marketers. So then we started to answer a question. We started to bring on talent that could help envision what that service could become. You know, how do we take active listening, the next step. How do we know how to read signals and read data in ways that would differentiate our conclusions from what perhaps our clients were concluding when they read the data or what other agencies might? And so it looked, at, it looked like us hiring additional brand strategy minds, some additional analysts who could understand the data and what it meant. And, you know, really beefing up that social marketing team even more than we had before. So when you think about when you when we stood up a social marketing practice in its early days, you know, that was a, that was green fields and you, you were kind of throwing resources at it. But a couple of years in, we started to realize what kind of minds we needed on that. So we started to look for people who had that, you know, healthcare or life sciences background, but that appetite for being an agency partner who can help somebody go through firsts together. And that ultimately led us to kind of 
beefing up our staff and strategy, looking differently at creative. I think in those days, we, we realized that we could really lead social marketing with a creative lens and that a lot of what we were deducing through that tripod analysis of business insights and landscape insights and active listening could be manifested into compelling creative that led to action. And so I think our, today, fast forward several years in the future, our creative team, our social marketing team, um, our, our team of analysts looks very different than it did back when we started this. Right. Yeah, that, that's great. I, I think it's a very, you know, distinctive kind of a positioning guiding clients through firsts. And as you say, 2013, 2014, at that time, social marketing was indeed the great untested frontier for pharma. It's gotten a little bit, you know, less untested, if you, if you will, sure. uh, in the last uh, seven or eight years since. What would you say um, is the agency's differentiating proposition now in, in 2021? Um, well, believe it or not, there are still lots of folks out there who are trying to do some things for the first time. And so I would say that that still is a big part of um, what we offer. I think the biggest difference though, Mark, is that we're not just offering that through the lens of social marketing. I think we've now started to think of ourselves as a uh, a, 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 an agency that's really focused on making digital impact, um, whether that's through social marketing, whether that's through targeting and retargeting, CRM, um, UX design, um, all of the things that go into kind of an organization's digital ecosystem, impact is what we strive to make. And different clients you know, define impact differently. Um, I think one of the things that I think makes us different and that we're really insistent upon is we fight hard for how we define impact. Um, you know, and I think the, the very nature of the client agency relationship is about, you know, listening and speaking when it, you know, listening and speaking, listening and speaking. And so we try to be active listeners, but at the same time, we have a really strong point of view around how our clients can make an impact um, using their digital channels. And so we're kind of, relentless in our pursuit for helping really to indoctrinize others about what digital impact means, what it means today and what it can mean in the future. And I think the linchpin there is really data. Um, you know, we're not, we're certainly not the only agency talking about data right now, but um, you know, that, and that's why lots, lots of life sciences companies are talking about omni-channel and data as kind of the center spoke in that whole omni-channel ecosystem. And so I think the more, we, the more we're focused on kind of how to make that digital impact in the future, the more we're focused on how do we not just read data, but how do we own data? Um, and that's gonna be a real differentiator for us, I think, moving forward. Now, as we look at, you know, the, at, the, at the remainder of 2021 and looking at 2022, we really are focused on making that digital impact that I was, that I was talking about. And I think, you know, we have to define what that is. Um, and we're really focused on that right now because different people define impact differently. Um, and so we're doing a lot of client listening. We're really trying to understand from, from our clients, like what is the impact they want their brands to make? Because frankly, the impact that life sciences brands want to make in 2022 is very different than the impact they wanted to make even two years ago. Frankly, even one year ago when we were in the throes of the pandemic, when priorities changed a little bit to be, you know, to, to things like um, non-personal promotion and how can we still do that without being in office? So I think we're seeing a little bit, we're seeing some signs now that brands are starting to think again, not just about that, but also about the future of, 
omni-channel marketing and what a role that data is going to play in that. Okay, nice. And uh, you know, in what ways would you say that Emory Health is most like other agencies? You know, I think that inherently people who work at agencies in the healthcare space care a lot about the impact they're making, whether that's digital, whether that's real time, whether that's in real life, however, what have you. So I think Emory is a is a is an agency where we've been able to collect a lot of really passionate, empathetic marketers, and I think that that is something that. Um, you know, the industry has in spades, which is in part probably why we're facing, as all agencies are, kind of this war on talent right now. There's a lot of really good people who care about doing healthcare work. So I think we're similar to other agencies in that way. I think the challenges we're facing in terms of a post-pandemic life sciences marketing environment are very similar as well. I think a lot of our clients have feel like they've lost, you know, uh, some time, some really important time. And as we all know, there is not a lot of time in marketing for life sciences drugs. There's a runway there and you got to get as much in as fast as you can. And there's some pacing that goes on. And, you know, I think to a large degree, brands haven't been able to control that pacing themselves. So I think we're in this period now where um, a lot of clients are eager to get right back in the thick of things to solve for problems that have arisen over the last year and a half, but also really to make a meaningful impact on challenges that have existed since long before that. And so I think in that sense, you know, Emory is stands alongside many other agency, uh, many other agencies working to do the same thing and facing similar challenges from clients. Sure. And then speaking of that, how do you compete with uh, what oftentimes is much larger networked agencies who are increasingly fighting for digital and social to be included in their own AOR scopes of work? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think, first of all, we have to really know what we do well and we have to know what we don't do as well. Um, And so not a day goes by where I'm not faced with some kind of decision mark about whether or not we pursue something that we might be competing with many of the larger agencies against there, you know, whether that's for new, new work, whether that's organic work, where we're already working as part of an IAT mix, where there's multiple agencies. I think that where we continue to excel is when we can really get in to a client and look under the hood. And so I think that one of the things that really does make Emory different right now is that we are not satisfied with the status quo. Even with our own status quo, you know, what have we done over the last couple of years? We are really trying to challenge ourselves with new firsts. It's not just about delivering first for clients, it's about doing things for the first time ourselves, um, which I think has really created a renewed sense of purpose for our employees and the power of what we can do as healthcare marketers. And I think that's something that we bring to the table that perhaps other agencies that are so large and have so many different tentacles to it can't mobilize as quickly. You know, one of the things that I think we do really well is we make change seem seamless. Um, you know, in the in the 10 years that I've been at Emory, I've seen us through countless organizational changes, um, you know, rebranding, half of our talent is new. And I think what we do really well is we navigate those changes. We navigate the inherent um, kind of cycle and cycling of our business in ways that larger, less nimble, less agile agencies really can't. I also think that where we distinguish ourselves is in the big idea. 
you know, we have, we tend to hire a lot of people who, who are really um, almost nerdy in their ideation around what they hope to accomplish in their work. And I think we have a, a culture where we foster that. We ask people to have skin in the game around innovation. Innovation isn't something that Emory offers because we've created a new division or because we've created a, a, you know, a brand new service offering or we've rebranded or renamed you know, a half of our agency into something else. It's because of the idea and the ways in which we champion and challenge the status quo. And I think that's something that we do really differently and really well. You know, another thing I would mention, Mark, is that, you know, we oftentimes get involved in client work as the digital AOR or as the social AOR, not typically the brand AOR. And I think that is a role that larger, you know, multinational holding companies are able to own still, particularly as, TV remains a critical component of life science marketing. And, you know, we've done all the pontificating we can over the last six plus years around cord cutters and the need to invest more or a larger share of one's marketing budget into non-television channels. I think at the end of the day, TV is going to remain a channel that feels comfortable and like it serves a purpose for pharma marketers. I think the challenge we have then is figuring out how do we position ourselves as an AOR, despite the fact that TV might not be part of one of our offerings. And in the last couple of years, we've had the chance to partner with clients where we've launched brands in a digital only launch, brands that launched without TV. So I think the more that brands look to do that, the more you'll see Emory playing like a lead IAT role where we really are the lead AOR. The other thing that I think is changing is the way that we're building into our digital and or social AOR scopes, a lot of the work that traditional AORs might have managed. And I'll tell you, Mark, much of our organic growth comes from work that clients decide, you know what, our AOR isn't as good at this as Emory is, or our AOR has these kinds of things on their plate. So I'm going to have you, Emory, work on those kinds of things. We are not too shy to raise our hands and step up and take on any work that clients want to give us. And so I think a lot of our kind of AOR type work has been born out of being given chances from our clients to do work that maybe they carve out from their original AOR scopes. And I think that's the future of how Emory continues to position itself as an AOR. I think in some ways we're seeing the industry back into a new definition of AOR. And I think we've worked really hard at Emory to, to be well-suited and well-positioned to inherit that work. Sure, and it sounds like, yeah, indeed, that the agency is well-positioned as clients carve out more types of duties and, and roles from their what traditionally they had traditionally they had considered as their AOR, like these you know asynchronous types of digital television uh, work, also you know the social work um, and other things that uh, that Emory as, as a lead uh, IAT agency you know can take on. And if it's just a matter of semantics, hey, I'm, I'm sure you guys are happy to you know allow somebody to. Sure. That you know, brand AOR label, but if you're getting the additional work and of course you're getting compensated for it, uh, that, that's the name of the game at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It is, we, it, 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 sometimes it is a game of semantics and we're, you know, we're not too proud to, to go with whatever name we're given. Um, what I'll tell you though, is I think beyond semantics, we're seeing more and more marketers um, at our clients understand 
their marketing mix a little bit differently. And so I think that old mentality of whoever owns TV really has to own everything because everything is born out of those TV commercials has really, really changed. I mean, I'll give you an example. When we first started working in this space in late 2013, 2014, some of our early work was adapting existing TV creative for social. You know, and, you know, and that's got its own challenges because of the regulatory environment and adapting long form content for social is, is, is challenging work, but it's not terribly creative. Today, I would say that most of the digital we're working on has nothing to do with any TV campaigns in market. It's really unbranded or branded work that lives on um, digital channels, or it's HCP work that really has found a new home through digital mechanisms. Because frankly, we were really pushing a renewed HCP marketing model long before the pandemic required our clients to think about it. You know, we were talking about what we call moving HCP marketing from sales to service, you know, two and a half years ago. I actually hired someone about three years ago as our very first HCP strategist. Believe it or not, we didn't have one three years ago because three years ago, I would say 70% of our book of business was DTC. Today, at least half of our business is HCP, maybe even teetering on a little bit more. And I think hiring that HCP strategist to help us think differently about that kind of marketing. And when I set out to hire that person, Mark, I set out to find somebody who believed that the way that pharma was marketing to HCPs was antiquated, because I believe that or I believed it at the time. And so I ended up hiring someone who had spent 20 years as a sales rep working for AbbVie and other major pharmaceutical companies who she, she also happened to have her master's in social work and understood patients, understood doctors and what made them tick. And with her help, we really started to kind of redefine our value proposition for doctors and really think differently about the power of non-personal promotion. Um, then the pandemic hit and suddenly everybody's clamoring for that kind of thinking. And luckily we were already doing a lot of that work. So I think post pandemic, we're coming out feeling really emboldened by some of the, the some of the real um, impactful stuff we've been able to do with HCPs and feeling really optimistic about the future of that stream. Yeah, that, that kind of echoes what I've been hearing too, Jeff, in terms of how the HCP marketing model is shifting from sales to service. And, you know, you're seeing some of these vendors pop up that offer kind of this concierge model of getting them the kind of information that they need and it's more personalized. Uh, so perhaps it's, it's time has come and it's great to hear that the agency was thinking of that, you know, long, long before. So it sounds like you're really- Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we all kind of, we've all heard that, that, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, doctors are people too. Let's market to them like people. Yes, that's true, but that's not earth shattering. I think what we've done is we've added some real meat to that premise that, yeah, you're right. Doctors are just people too. And now what we've done is stopped pontificating about that and instead have really developed programs that focus on service, not sales. What do you need, you know, pulmonologists when you're talking to a COPD patient? What do you need, um, you know, uh, uh, gynecologists when you're talking to your female patients about their sexual health or their libido um, or painful intercourse? You know, those are the kinds of conversations we're now having, which is very different than simply saying, well, doctors are people too. Yep, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about now, how are you involving you, you know, your employees in the evolution of the agency's health offerings and what can employees find at, at Emory that they can't find elsewhere? 
Um, maybe I'll take the second part of that question first. I think what employees find here is a genuine interest in what they think and what they have to say. You know, I, I meet for 15 minutes with every new employee that starts at Emory, even if we're never going to work together or we do nothing alike. And I tell every single one of those people, like, you know, do not be a wallflower. This is an environment where people who have ideas and who know how to build consensus around those ideas really succeed. And sometimes, Mark, it's funny, that's been a struggle for me as someone who spent a lot of time at a, at a big holding company, spent a lot of time on the client side managing agencies that were more often than not from the, that big holding company world. I, I often think about how wonderful it is to be in an environment here where we genuinely want a diversity of ideas. We don't just want new people to come on and think the way we think and do the way we do. We want them to change the way we think and change the way we do. So I think for employees who have spent time in the healthcare space, for instance, they've, they've heard about us, they've seen some of the work we've done. In fact, a lot of our new employees have come from other agencies that were part of IAT teams with us. And so we've had employees who have come and they said, yeah, I mean, I was really taken by the way you all talked on that call or the, the, the way that you did your work, it seemed very different to me than how I was doing my work elsewhere. So I think that is a real value proposition for people and why they come. And then I think why they stay because they feel like they have a voice. And, you know, Mark, I don't know if you've ever worked in an agency environment, but for working in an agency environment, it's very easy to start feeling like you're in this never ending cycle of, you know, churn and burn, churn and burn, churn and burn. You know, there's a there's an inflection point. My client needs all hands on deck. I throw everything I have into it. I get one night's worth of sleep. I wake up tomorrow and the, another client has the same issue. So I think one of the ways that we kind of intercept that traditional agency churn and burn is by giving people a platform to share their thoughts, to share their ideas, and to help shape the services that we're building, as opposed to being told, go sell this service. That's worked for us. It's worked for us really well. And that has led to why we hire the way we do. We tend to look at people from sometimes outside our industry, people who might not have the experience that you'd expect them to have. There's something about their background that intrigues us. You know, I'm not one of these people who thinks that everybody I hire has had to have had agency experience. I think at certain roles, it's really important at certain levels, particularly in leadership. But it's not even a non-starter for me at that at the highest levels of the organization, because I think Emory doesn't run like a traditional agency. I, I you know, it's I, I, I've struggled myself over my 10 years here with how much of what we do is focused on our clients versus how much of what we do is focused on ourselves. And, you know, I, I, what I'll say about that is how lucky I am to have that problem, how lucky I am to have that kind of dichotomy, because I think for most agencies, there's very little um, time spent on themselves, particularly larger agencies where people who are, report, who, who are reporting to shareholders are making those decisions. Whereas at Emory, our employees make the decisions about who we are and how we show up and what we become. So I try to let, remind myself that I have to be patient with that. Whenever I spend an entire day in meetings about things that are Emory-centric as opposed to client-centric, my first instinct is to sometimes think to myself, well, wait a second, shouldn't I be investing this time in client work? But then I have to remind myself that the more I'm able to create an environment where we can get it right, how we work, what makes us different, how we inspire and encourage our employees to achieve, how we celebrate achievements and accomplishments. All of that stuff goes into our ability to show up for our clients every day. So the two are inextricably linked, the internal and the external.
And I'm still coming to appreciate that, so to speak, Mark, um, even this late in my career. Sure. And, and since Emory has this wonderful self-deterministic ability to determine its own future, I, I wanted to uh, ask you, you know, what do you expect both for the near term you know, to invest in as an agency and what's the long-term vision for Emory Health? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're going to see from us over the next year or two is a really deliberate approach to how we better link our healthcare business with our consumer business, because we do still have um, a legacy of consumer clients and we still win consumer clients, particularly in the PR space, which is not a service where we lean heavily on our healthcare business. So we're doing a lot of thinking now about how the future of Emory will better pair kind of our heritage with our future. And I think that there's a really compelling way that we can look at consumer health that in a way that isn't necessarily being viewed today. That's where a lot of my efforts are focused now as we think about our future. And then also really on helping develop and incubate and sell services that help us live up to that, that digital impact you know, nomenclature that I'm using. You know, How do we really become a digital impact agency? It's not enough to think we're doing it. It's not enough to call ourselves something. We have to be able to really define impact and measure it differently than what we are today. Because I don't necessarily know that without that measurement tool that you can even say you've made an impact. So I think you'll see more from Emory in terms of how we're going to use data to drive our programs and to show the successes of them in ways that we're just not doing today. Sure, sure. Well, to that end, uh, you know, let's have another conversation as we begin to hopefully put this pandemic in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I think that would be fantastic. I mean, I think, my, knock on wood, my hope is that a year from now, um, you know, we're way past having any of these conversations still that are, you know, solely focused on uh, the impact or an impediment created by the pandemic and instead focused on what is healthcare marketing going to need in three to five years? Not, you know, how much do we have to kind of take back time we lost, but really put all of our eggs in that future basket. And we're excited about that. We're doing that now. And frankly, I think our clients are really excited about that. I think clients are ready to talk about the future in big ways. Sure. A- amen to that. Okay. That was Jeff Spokler of Emory Health, and it was a terrific conversation. Many thanks for listening. Come back soon for another one. This is Marcus Woods for the MMNN Podcast. Take care, everybody.